Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 17, if you want to turn there. John chapter 17. And I'll read the first five verses. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, as we look at this prayer of Jesus. Uh, Father, we, it, is, it boggles the mind to think that we have a prayer between two persons of the Trinity. And we're supposed to uh, explain and understand uh, the depth of this. And Father, we know that um, we will never plumb the depths of, of your being and even of your words. But help us to gain an understanding so that this passage would be profitable to us and would remind us of your truth, of your glory, of your Son's glory. And Father, may, may our minds, having been set upon your glory, be encouraged. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So these last chapters of John are very intense from from chapter, well, all of Scripture is pretty intense, but um, these last chapters of John from 13 on, um, Jesus is is saying his last words before chapter 18, is, and that's when he's arrested and, and the mock trial and his death happened. But um, these words, they're, they're just so significant. They're weighty, given just their position in the life of Christ. They come near the end, and it's the last few things that he said um, to his disciples. And so, but, but 17 is, is a prayer. He, Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven. So he doesn't bow his head. This is a prayer where he lifts up his eyes and speaks to his Father in heaven. And we are allowed to... There, there are a few times when Jesus addresses his Father directly. Um, there aren't a whole ton. You know, after, after Jesus... Uh, raises Lazarus from the dead. You remember he said, I prayed these things that they might hear, um, they might hear me. And uh, he's saying that to the Father. And, and uh, there are a few other times where he does this directly, but here's the most significant portion where he is, uh, he is saying these things, speaking this prayer to his, uh, for us to his Father. 
so Jesus, the Son of God, the, the third, the, the second person of the Trinity, he is the I am, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who was and who is and who is to come. He's the, he's the eternal, eternally satisfied and happy second person of the three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And <clears throat> perhaps, you know, this, this afternoon, you, um, you woke up from your nap if you went home and did what I did, which was to go home and take a nap. You woke up from your nap and you thought, uh, boy, I'd love to just sleep for another couple hours, or another hour at least, and then I'd like to just roll out of my bed and, and do something else. But, but instead, you, 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 woke, you woke back up, you got yourself ready, you drove here in order to worship that Son of God. That's what you did. You made that choice to not just indulge your flesh as strong as that pull was, but you got here in order to worship the Son of God. And <clears throat> that should not be a difficult choice, right? When we consider the glory of the Son of God, when we consider the very fact that the Son of God is the one who made this planet that we are rotating around on, right? And the the galaxy within which it exists and the other galaxies that you've seen that picture of the Hubble telescope when it picks up just galaxies and it's just like a sea of galaxies that Jesus made all of those galaxies and he made whatever whatever else is visible and invisible and and he was and he was born of a woman and he died and rose again from the dead for you and so here you are to uh, pay homage. Here you are to bow your knees and confess his name again. That seems perfectly appropriate, doesn't it? It is where you should be. Um, but Jesus, Jesus is the one also who will light. Uh, he will be the light of heaven, right? The radiance of the stars will be... Uh, dingy compared to the radiance of the Son of God when we have no need of the Son. And it's the light of, the, of His radiance that fills the earth and the heavens. And, and perhaps, perhaps that's not why you came here this evening. Perhaps your mind isn't, until this moment, filled with the awe of Jesus Christ. We constantly have to be reminded of these things, right? Because the flesh draws us away from from the reality of Christ's glory, and the daily routine just draws us off of eternal truths. And so, it's good to be reminded morning and evening on Sundays of the glory of Jesus Christ. Is your mind filled with awe at Jesus Christ? Is it filled with the awe of Him, or has He just become to you? Oh, a lo- one of a long list of things that you just avail yourself for help in your life? Or is He the glorious, eternal Son of God? The radiant one? 
Are you, are you ravished, right? Are you overcome by a view of his awesome glory and majesty? Or has this view of Jesus Christ and his eternal glory and beauty been dulled by what you suffer? Or has it been redirected by lesser things, for, by the fleeting pleasures of your, your television, right? Or your computer screen? Or has this view of Jesus Christ never been yours because you worship idols, right? And so the idol that you manufactured has not had a radiance like that of the eternal Son of God. Your false gods, the false gods of your relationship, the false god of your money, the false god of your intellect, all those things, those may be satisfying on a certain level, but they do not have the radiance and the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Um, why ask questions like this? Right? Why do I as a pastor ask you questions like this? Well, the first reason is it's because I'm describing the dilemma that I always find myself in. Right? Torn between the glory of Jesus Christ and the lesser glory of, of this world world, right? There's always a fight for me between having God as my delight or having the world as my delight. And when the Holy Spirit writes through John's pen, do not love the things of the world nor the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's, there is conviction in my heart, right? There's an aching in my heart when I hear that you love the things of the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. And then we begin the process of a thousand qualifications of, of John's statement there. Now there's a sense in which I don't think I am caught up in the world. It's not as if I'm living the high life and of, of, a, of a rich executive. Right? I don't have a private jet. It's true, I don't. Right, I don't have that. That's in the ten-year plan for the church. Um, just kidding. It's not. I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but but you know there 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 are a lot of the pleasures of the world that the rich and um, the, the wealthy uh, give themselves to that uh, none of us have really experienced. Um, you know, we're, we're not living that high life, but, and here's the question, am I satisfied with having Jesus? Would I be satisfied with just Jesus alone, right? And very meager, meager things, meager friendships, meager money, meager um, experiences, right? Um, do I need the things that your average worldling wants in order to be satisfied? Where is my contentment coming from? The le- re- the, these minor reliefs that the world can offer, like Tylenol. You know? Am I satisfied with the, the, the pain relievers of the world? Or more money, more medicine, more entertainment, you know, more houses, more promotions, more insurance? Or is it coming from knowing that Jesus Christ died to save me from my sins? Is that where your satisfaction is? When you go to bed at night, do you think, ah, Jesus Christ is for me, not against me. And he died for my salvation. When are you happy? When are you really happy? 
when things work out or when you think about your salvation in Jesus Christ. When the bank account is full or when you consider that you were dead in your sins and Jesus made you alive. Right? When, when is it? What is it that makes you happy? There, there's, um, there's even a weariness of the world that is worldly because we seek to be free from the burden of this weariness, not by thinking about what we have in Jesus and meditating on His glory, but rather by turning to the balms of the world. Many of us would find relief in this life by contemplating more by more than contemplating Jesus we would find relief in this life if we simply had $20,000 in our bank account right that's where relief would come is that true of you is that true of you Now, the reason I ask these questions is because the fight is on in my own heart, my own soul, my mind, also because I know that that what I fight with, you're likely to fight with as well. Um, We all talk. We hear what one another says. We hear what we get excited about. We hear um, about wants and desires and desires fulfilled and the good things that are going on and and what gets us going. And it's it's almost fall and the weather's getting cool and college football starting, you know, and, and that just, it, it picks you up, you know, it gets you going. And it has nothing to do with the eternal glory of the Son of God. So I, this, is a, this is a sermon where I guilt trip you about all the things you enjoy. <laughs> but there's a sense in which we should be guilt tripped into all the things we enjoy if Jesus is not the primary joy in our lives, right? That is how it should be. Um, So we hear what everybody gets excited about. We hear their desires. And and as a pastor and to myself, I want to say, wake up. What of Jesus Christ and his glory? Why is it that this glory that far surpasses all other glories is not the continuous language of our mouths? Why are we not always just praising God for his work and giving thanks for the things he has done. And why is our mind not just settled on that? Why, why are we not anticipating being in the presence of his glory even half as much as we're anticipating being at the home opener of Clemson football? This is also the sermon that gets me prepared to bash on football for the whole fall. Just... Just so you know, Ryan, that's for you. Yes. How can you desire that, those things that you desire when when you have Jesus, if you have Jesus indeed? How can you desire this or that for your children and pour countless hours into these pursuits that your children might enjoy things when you haven't pled with them to acknowledge and worship Jesus? Right? You've gotten them into all kinds of activities and you've gotten them excited about soccer, but have you gotten your children excited about worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? Where's the effort and time there? How can you go down, you know, how can you go down this or that road and when Jesus so clearly says, not my way, uh, not your way, but mine. 
Where are your thoughts at most moments? The cares of the world, the wonders of the news, the next meal, the next episode, the next game, the cleanliness of the carpet, the new scratch on the car door. Uh, even, the, even the glories of the, the mountains that you went hiking in, the glories of the ocean, those derivative glories. Or is your mind filled with the glory of Jesus Christ? You see, you're... You are um, you're preached to uh, a lot. You're preached to by all the things that surround you. You're preached to, um, as a people, you're preached to more than anybody in the history of the church in any age has ever been preached to. And that's even in Geneva where they had services every evening. But you guys have worship services as you drive home from worship when you turn the radio on, Right? And the sports radio preachers preach you an alternative worldview. Right? They preach to you something else. And then you turn on NPR, and of course, they've got a, a vastly divergent worldview. Right? And then, we, and then we sit down and listen to what our televisions are teaching us when we turn on a, a British drama. And they have a completely different worldview, and they're preaching and promoting it to you. And so everywhere we go, every time we have the earbuds in, we're hearing another sermon. All of that was not possible um, until quite recently. But um, so, so we, we are sitting under preaching for hours and hours on end. And that's the competition that pastors have today. And, and I'm the one voice, perhaps, that's saying... No, and all those other voices are saying, yes, 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 yes. Right? How can we see any glory in this world when we have seen the glory of Jesus Christ illumined to us by the Holy Spirit and His Word? The triune God who spoke the worlds into existence left us a book in which the Holy Spirit works and applies it to us when that Spirit lives within us. And yet, we can yawn through the reading of God's Word. And we can be like, in the morning when we normally do our, our devotions, we can be like, oh, yeah, I guess I have to read the Bible, but I would rather get started with my social media intake this morning. Right? It's just more enticing. Somehow it has more glory than the Word of God for us when we choose that way. It's shameful. It's shameful. But that is where we find ourselves. I read a book by John Owen that everybody should read if you want to um, labor through a book. Um, that's what you do in John Owen's books. They're very difficult. And it's called The Glory of Christ. And here's a section of that that perhaps expresses what I'm saying um, better than I've just expressed it. A cure for short-sightedness, he says. It will in this and in the discharge of this duty be made evident how slight and inconsiderable all these things are from when our troubles and distresses do arise. For they all grow on this root of an over-evaluation of temporal things, right? Over-evaluating temporal things, placing way too much importance on temporal things. And unless we can arrive to a fixed judgment that all things here below are transitory and perishing, 
reaching only to the outward man or the body, perhaps the killing of it, that the best of them have nothing that is truly substantial or abiding in them, that there are other things in which we have an assured interest that are incomparably better than they and above them. It is impossible but that we must spend our lives in fears and sorrows and distractions on real view of the glory of Christ and our own concern in it will give us a full relief in this matter. For what are the things of this life? What is the good or evil of them in comparison of an interest in this transcendent glory? When we have the due apprehensions of this, when our minds are possessed with thought of it, when our affections reach out after its enjoyments, let pain and sickness and sorrows and fears and dangers and death say what they will, we shall have in readiness wherewith to combat with them and overcome them. So, so he says, if we have a mind set on the glory of Christ, then the temporal things become less and manageable and dealing with. But if we only see glory in the temporal things, well, then we're never prepared for them. They become, they become grievous uh, weights to overcome. Can any of us say along with Paul... Can any of us say along with Paul, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Can any of us honestly say that? I count all things to be loss. Relationships with my children. Right? Um, dependable mode of transportation. Uh, Comfort. Respect by other people. An acknowledgement of my, my writing and my intellect, right? All those things are lost. Lost just simply to, to knowing Christ. That's what he says. Everything else is loss. Money. Money. Could you honestly do with a quarter of what you make and remain praising Jesus and considering him your treasure? Perhaps the Lord will, will take you down that path as, as our nation goes into a recession. Uh-huh. So we may know that. But, but is, that, is that enough or is that your worth? Is your worth in your money? Or does it have a more overpowering glory than the glory of knowing Christ Jesus? Knowing Christ Jesus. Is that enough for you? Knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing, knowing that there's a Savior who, who has removed your sins from you as far as east is from west. If, you, if everything else goes terrible in your life, and it's one pain to the next pain to the next pain, is having Jesus enough? Could you live a life like Paul, going from pain to pain to pain to pain to pain, and then say, I count all things to be lost in view of knowing Jesus? Well, those are the eyes of faith. That's what faith is. Um, 
And, and yet, I know what you're saying, as I might be saying it, faith doesn't take us out of the world. We have to think about these things. We have to dedicate much time to pursuing money and pursuing um, rest and pursuing, uh, pursuing all these things that are materials, right? We have to do that. We have to think about this and dedicate time to it. But dear brothers and sisters, on most days we put our minds on these things to the exclusion of rejoicing in Jesus Christ, Right? We do it and exclude Jesus because we, we have determined that Jesus' glory or, or the, command, the, the attention he commands is somehow less worthy than the attention that my vocation demands of me. And now, you know, I'm creating a false dichotomy, right? It is to serve the Lord as we serve and do our work unto him but i'm i'm talking purely about the the idea of the glory of god manifesting itself in your mind and your heart somehow in your affections do you feel and think about the fact that jesus is awesome right jesus is awful which is a better way to put it We are, you, you all know this C.S. Lewis quote, it's, it's always helpful. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with a drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. And I think that's, that's us. I think that's that's something we will always feel and always fight in this life is to overcome our overcome being impressed by the things of the world rather than being filled with the um, the mind of Christ being filled with the a vision of his glory uh, <clears throat> we don't have um, we don't care to have what Moses asked for, right? When, when, uh, when talking with the Lord, you know, he said, I pray you show me your glory. Is that what you would ask for if God's, God said, you know, what would you like me to do? Would you just say, show me your glory? Or would you ask for more stuff? <laughs> would you ask what, what Solomon asked for, which was wisdom? Moses, Moses says, show me your glory. Let me see you, right? Let me know you. Let me see something of your glory. And of course, it's not his full glory, but it is an overpowering vision of just a portion of his glory. And so, how could it not be that that, that wouldn't be the thing we ask for, right? How could it not be? How could we not ask for the glory of God if, if we're in awe of his creation? Would we not be a million times more in awe of his being? Of his purity, of his, of his radiance, of his majesty? How can that be? Has, you know, it's, it's, it's like God has abandoned us to, to be impressed by the things of this earth. And not by himself. Has, has Jesus' prayer here failed? I pray that, that they would know my glory. 
Um, it is my prayer that we would know more of Jesus' glory. It's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for my children that they would be less impressed with the things of the world and more impressed with God himself, thinking upon God and his great glory. In John 17, we're blessed to have recorded by the Holy Spirit a prayer from the Son of God to his Father. And so we're allowed into the inner sanctuary. We're allowed into the communication between Father, Son, and Spirit. You remember that this prayer is said at a significant time in the life of Jesus. It's the last few days of his earthly life. John 13 is the upper room and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John 14 to 16 is this long sermon that he gives to the disciples. John 17 is his prayer. And then John 18 is the arrest. And from there, he's crucified. The prayer starts in an extraordinary manner. In previous times, Jesus had been saying his hour had not yet come. Now in this prayer, he says, Father, the hour has come. Right? And we should be like, oh. He's been repeatedly saying, not time, not time, not time. And now he's praying to the Father and says, the hour has come. The hour for the culmination of his life in death on the cross as an atoning sacrifice has arrived. In hours, he will be betrayed by Judas and be arrested by a Roman cohort. And in hours after that, he would be hanging from a tree, singing the deepest, most gut-wrenching, most painful lament ever vocalized, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that forsakenness, that infinite blow of God's wrath upon his son, that excruciating work, was Jesus' glory. It was his glory. Unspeakable glory. A glory that cannot be properly estimated. A glory that cannot be defeated, but the whole of his glory. Before the glory of his redemption of his people, which is addressed in verses 2, 3, 4, Jesus had glory, right? So the redemption is glorious, but, but that's, that's not the original glory. He has glory in redeeming. He has glory in doing the will of his Father. There's glory in his submission to the Father. There's glory in all of that, but he had a glory that, that preceded all of that work. And that's, that's sort of the glory that... I, that I want to know more of, right? That, that's the glory that I want to set my mind on and my affections on. That's the thing. I, I want to long to be bathed in the light of that glory so that the, the things of this world will seem just dull. Dull. Verse 5, Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Wow. The glory that he had with the Father before the world was, before any of creation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit fellowshiped and had a glory that Jesus wants to return to. Jesus had a glory, he had a splendor, he had a greatness that existed into eternity past. That glory he had with the Father was before the world was. He did not receive his glory. He did not receive his being, his power, his majesty when he was born. No, in some sense, he set aside some of his glory when that occurred. But before the oceans churned, before the stars cast their light, 
and heat into the universe before the mountains rose into the sky, before the sun pushed its warmth into our atmosphere, Jesus had glory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Think past our modern conceptions of Jesus as our co-pilot, right? And Jesus as our personal Savior, although He is. His glory precedes you and any of us by an eternity, That's how prior His glory is to any of us. His glory precedes us by an eternity. The glory and the fellowship of the triune God precedes us eternally. John 8, 57-59, So the Jews said to Him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There Jesus is talking to the Jews who reverence Abraham, and, and he's, he's speaking to them about this glory that he has prior to them and eternally. And those words that, you know, before Abraham was born, I am. So powerful, Right? So filled with meaning. So filled with all this glory we're talking about here. Jesus, the Son of God, and His glory precede even Abraham. Stephen saw this glory. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at Stephen. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold... I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine the vision of that? I see the glory of God. I see the Son of Man standing to the right hand of God the Father. It is the glory that we will all one day behold. It's the glory that we all will one day behold face to face, but why are we not beholding it now? Right? Is it that we can't see Jesus? Is it that we have no vision for Jesus? Is it that everything is obscure and um, impossible to know? Is, is our epistemology like that, right? Do we think that there isn't clarity? Do we think that we have to wait? Well, in a sense, we have to wait for the full vision of the glory of God until then we do look as through a glass darkly, right? But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit working in the Word, the Holy Spirit living within us, reveals God to us, right? Reveals His glory to us. We know the glory of the Son of God. We know it now, right? That's, there may be times when you have, you have truly rejoiced in that glory, right? Maybe, maybe at the beginning of your Christian walk when you were first converted. That's when I n- tasted it the most. That's why I'm jealous that our covenant children have a conversion experience. And I mean it. That there is a time when they, the lights come on and they taste and see that the Lord is good. 
right? And that the Christian life is not just one of duty, but that it's one of a relationship that's glorious. But I remember, I remember the, the, the sun, the, sun the, the beams of light coming into my room were brighter than they had ever been the day after my conversion. I remember thinking that, wow, God loves me. God is for me. Who can be against me? Right? I remember thinking that, that there, was, there was nothing else that mattered. It was only serving Jesus Christ. And so whatever I did in this life, it was going to be something where I serve him. And so life got really simple after I was converted. It's Jesus. That, that's it. <laughs> serve God. Serve God. I thought it was going to be through, through music. I thought it was going to be through other means. But um, the Lord called me into ministry. And what a glory that I'm forced to settle into the Word of God every week and study it. It's wonderful. But we can behold the glory of God now. We can and should delight in it. We should delight in it by going to the place where we have pictures of Jesus. And that's in his word, right? We have not literal pictures of Jesus. Those are forbidden. But these are the pictures that God allows. What is written. And so we we see Jesus there and we should settle on it. And we should just rejoice in it. One of the things that I've been doing this past week, and I'm only a week into it, so it's, I'm not a success at this, and so I'm not boasting about it. Um, if I keep it up for another week, maybe I can say there's success. But um, in my morning reading, I'll take one verse and I'll memorize it. Just to keep that one verse with me the rest of the day. And so I'm making a list of these one, one verse that I've memorized each day. And, um, <clears throat> and it's been very helpful just to chew <clears throat> on that one thing that struck me during my morning devotions. It reminds me of a truth, right? It, it settles my mind on something that is undeniably and eternally true, which is the Word of God. And so, and I've been reading the Psalms. I read Psalm 119 um, this morning. And, and so, just you know, whatever strikes me, I'll pull one of those out and I'll spend five minutes memorizing it. It'll take you five minutes to memorize one verse, but it'll give you hours of meditation through the day as you roll that one verse over in your head. And so, um, but the Word of God is where we go to to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit allows us to see that glory as we read His Word. It's the glory we shall one day behold Um, think of this. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean were following him on white horses And from his mouth comes a a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, that... There were many years I couldn't read that passage without like breaking up and wanting just to cry and fall on my face, 
right? What's wrong with me that that doesn't happen anymore, I think, every time I read it. But it, it, it does make the hair stand up on my arms. Just think of that moment. Think of the glory of Jesus. Think of the, the, the name that only he knows, right? Think of the, the sharpness of that sword that, is, that he has to slay the nations. Think of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the fact that every ruler that we're impressed by in this life will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there will be no one who isn't submitting to him. Right? In Revelation 21, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The lamp is the Lamb. It's one thing to enjoy the warmth of the sun. It's one thing to, to revel at a giant ball of fire. Some million miles away that keeps us warm. But think of when the light hits you in the new heaven and new earth, that it will be the glory and the radiance of the Lamb that you will see illumine your skin, right? Yeah, I take this literally. I do. And, and it will be glorious because it will be a constant reminder of the source of 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 light, right? The source of light being the Son of God. And so, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with the glory of Jesus Christ. Fill your minds. Take a verse, memorize it, memorize, memorize something from Revelation 19, one verse, you know, his name is called the Word of God. Just memorize that in the morning. His name is called the Word of God. And then chew on it, come back to it, and you'll find that you're meditating not just on Jesus, how can you help me? And here's my laundry list of things. But you'll be thinking about Jesus himself, right? You'll be thinking about his glory. Be done with lesser glories. Be done with the mud pies. Consider what impresses you and hold and holds your attention. Then compare it with the glory or really lack of glory that it has con- compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let his glory be your joy. Right? Let his glory be your medicine. Let his glory be your antidepressant. Right? Let his glory be your hope in the midst of suffering. And let, let his glory be your constant conversation. Right? Talk to me about how you meditated on Jesus Christ. I know work has been miserable for you this week. I know you've had difficulties. I know your bowels didn't move exactly like you wanted them to move this week. We all know we're suffering in those ways. But let's talk to one another about the meditations on the glory of Jesus Christ that we enjoyed and how it helped us fight temptation and how it helped us to love our children and how it helped us to love our wives or our husbands, right? So, so, so do that work. Do that work. It's so it's the easiest work, right? Because the payoff is so great. The payoff of meditating on the glory of Jesus Christ is a mind and a heart satisfied in God himself, right? So meditate on those things. Walk out of the, the, the slum. Walk out of the slum of your own concerns and the slum of all your difficulties and set your mind on the glory of Jesus Christ that doesn't, 
diminish. It doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't, um, you know, flicker. It doesn't go through a period of solar flares and then solar deadness. No, the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of the triune God, burns brightly eternally and always has and always will. He's the God who was and is and is to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, forgive us for minds that are set on the things of the world. Forgive us for the, the lack of, of depth in our meditations. Forgive us for our short-sightedness when it comes to your awesome and awful glory. Lord, I pray that we would, we would do the work of searching to know you in your word. And finding treasure there, I pray that it would be our primary joy. That no one could take away our meditations in you. No one, no matter what, what trials you bring to us, though you slay us, Father, we will hope in you, we will rest in your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.